Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so honored and delighted that you are with us this morning. If it is your first time with us, or maybe your first time back in a long time, a special welcome to you. We are so glad you're here. If you're worshiping with us online, we are equally delighted to be with you from wherever the Lord has you today. Thank you for joining us. We want to remind you that, as always, we have online hosts who are standing by, who are available all throughout the service to answer your questions, and specifically would love to spend time in prayer with you. Our desire is for you to feel connected to this community no matter where you are today. So please participate in that chat throughout the service. If you create a profile, it helps us know that you're there so we can connect with you. I encourage you to do that and use that request prayer button anytime throughout the service to connect with our hosts. Well, I'd love to invite you now to stand, if you are able, in body or in spirit for our call to worship today. Our call to worship for this morning comes from Psalm 63, and this is verses 1 through 4. It says this, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Let's lift up our hands in praise in the name of the Lord this morning. Lord, I find you in the seeking. Lord, I find you in the doubt. And to know you is to love you. And to know so little else I need you. Lord, I 
this morning, lifting our voices to God, singing praise to the Lord, the Almighty. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help and salvation. Praise to the Lord. Praise to 
can be seated. Um, we are so glad that you are with us this morning. My name is Richard. I'm the lead pastor of Springbrook. And if this is your first or second time with us this morning, we are so glad that you are with us either in person or online. Uh, if you are online with us this morning, uh, this is an opportunity for you to, uh, to go get your communion elements. Uh, we're going to be celebrating communion together this morning. And so uh, whatever you have to eat or drink, uh, you can pull those supplies together. It's an opportunity for us to stop for a moment to ponder and reflect on and remember uh, the hope that we have in Christ. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we are in a series, um, Sermon on the Mount. I love the imagery of uh, Jesus and his disciples gathering around the mountainside to just to listen to Jesus teach. I'd love to be a fly on that wall. Actually, I would have loved to have been there. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? Just to be able to sit at the feet of Jesus as he taught. You know, all throughout scripture, we see Jesus spending time with his disciples. In fact, this morning, just a quick look. I found 55 verses where it said, Jesus went to his disciples where his disciples came to Jesus. And so that's what communion is. It's being in fellowship with Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but the word communion does not appear in scripture. It's not a biblical term. In fact, there's no Greek term for it. It's, it's a concept that we uh, use today to talk about what it means to be in fellowship with. Communion is the gathering together and the sharing of intimate thoughts feelings, and expressions as you celebrate something together. And so communion is an opportunity for us to stop, to reflect. It's an intimate time for us to remember what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. And so it's an opportunity for us to really do it, be encouraged and encourage one another as we give thanks. And so if you have a relationship with Christ this morning, we celebrate open communion at Springbrook. And so anyone that has a relationship with Christ is, is free to participate. And if you're online this morning, it's an opportunity for you to share, uh, to be encouraged. If you've got somebody with you there, you can share with them and be encouraged as well. Uh, but our communion time is between us and the Lord. It's an opportunity for us to just be one with the Holy Spirit as he gives us a sense of his presence. 
And so in just a few moments, we're going to invite you to come to the front uh, to take one of the communion elements. There's some juice uh, with a cup in it, uh, with some juice in it and some bread. And so we want to invite you to come forward. You can take those back to your seat. And as the Lord leads you during this next song, um, you can just partake of communion uh, as the Lord leads you. Jesus was with the disciples on that last supper, that communion meal, where they were communing together. And Jesus lifted up the bread and he said, this bread is reflective of my body that was broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And then after they'd finished eating their meal, Jesus lifted that cup up and he said, this cup is reflective of my blood that's going to be spilt for you. It's going to be shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, drink this in remembrance of me. And so let's take the next few moments to reflect on and give celebration for who we are in Christ. It's an opportunity for us to examine our lives and our hearts as we come before a holy God. And let's just take these next few moments to celebrate uh, the meaning of what communion really is for us as we commune with our Lord and Savior. So we want to invite you to come up and take the elements of this next song, and then Bethany will bring us back together and we'll close in prayer.
together in prayer. Heavenly Father, that is the scandal of grace. That we could be your enemies. That we could rebel against you, be far from you. Turn our hearts against your love for us and still you made a way for us to be your friend, to be seated at your table in places of honor and grace and mercy. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that by the body broken and the blood poured out because of the cross and the empty grave, we can be seated at the table as children who are chosen and loved and accepted. In spite of everything we've done, in spite of the mistakes we've made this week and the ones that we're going to make in the days to come, we are accepted by you. You've invited us into a better way. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Spirit, we thank you. We need you. Father, we rely on you so completely even to take our next breath. And so we need you now as we prepare to open your word this morning. We depend on you to open our eyes so that we can see clearly. Our ears that we might hear our minds, and our hearts so we might receive what you have for us. You have something good for us. We are expectant of you to move. Will you help us to see you this morning, to receive you, to leave here transformed, looking a little bit more like Jesus, looking a little bit more like the people of your kingdom that we were created to be. Father, we love you, and all of this is for you. Every moment of this is for your glory. We pray all of this by the power of your Holy Spirit in us and in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, good morning. Hi, everybody. I'm Andy Suarez, and I'm an elder here at Springbrook. And I just want to welcome you all. I was just thinking this morning, um, whether you're here in person, whether you're online, it's just it's really cool because we've got people at all different levels of their spiritual spiritual journey. <laughs> That's how you say that word. Um, and we're all we all kind of share the same thing. We 
come together today, whether we're at home or whether we're here, we've made the decision today that we're going to just continue on down that path. We want to learn more. We want to grow together. And I just, I love having that in common with you all. And yeah, I'm just, I'm always excited to come here and be with you guys with that. Um, it, there's a connections card. If you're here with us in person on the row that you're sitting in, you've got a connections card there. Um, fill out the information about yourself. I'm sorry, I'm having some little mic issues here. Um, if you want to fill out any information about yourself, if anything has changed, if you have any prayer requests, uh, if there's anything that we bring up that you're interested in and want more information on, you can make note on there also. Um, at home, there's a connections card like link at the top of the screen. Uh, so if you want, if you can fill that out, let us know that you were here today. And um, if you have any prayer requests or if any information has been updated, um, we've got a few things that are coming up. Um, we've got a prayer gathering that's coming up on Tuesday, every every second Tuesday. Um, we have our prayer gathering from 7 until 8.30. Um, we get together here in this room and... Um, we just get together and we pray. We pray, we sing, you can pray quietly, um, you can praise. I mean, it's just, it's a great time to get together and just really lift it all to God. And uh, we invite you to come join us this Tuesday at 7 p.m. Um, we have our spiritual gift class coming up. That's coming up on the 16th, which is a Wednesday. It's in the evening and it's going to be here. It's a three-week class. Um, we all have spiritual gifts. Um, we've been blessed with those, and some of you may know them. Some of them might be very obvious. Some of them might be less obvious and just need to be cultivated a little bit. Um, this class kind of walks you through learning what those gifts might be, um, learning a little bit more about what spiritual gifts are, and uh, it's, it's just a great class to go through if you haven't, if you haven't been through it before. Um, you can register online at springbrook.org slash gifts. There's a place right there for you to register, and uh, come join us in that. Um, we have our cafe, our Connections Cafe is open. I'm not, know if, not sure if you've noticed, if you're here with us in person. Um, we have our coffee cafe. You can get coffee in a, I don't know, one of those long little Italian things that you dip in the coffee. I don't know what they're called. It's just something. So you can get one of those. Um, we, we need help, though. We need, more, we need more people that are going to be able to serve there. And it's such a great, it's a really good first kind of serve thing. If you're just looking to get into something, you don't need to know anything about coffee at all. Um, they'll walk you through how to use the machines. Um, you can help out back there. And it's just, it's a great place to kind of get to know some people. You get to interact with people a little bit and you get to give them coffee, which, I mean, people are usually really happy about receiving coffee. Um, so if you're interested in that at all, uh, springbrook.org slash serve will get you more information or just stop by the cafe. Uh, Linda's there. She kind of heads up that ministry and she'd be happy to talk with you about that. Um, Pastor Tim's going to be out here in just a moment, but let's watch this little video. Good morning. Did you know that it's really hard to get into an Ivy League school? Now, that's not a surprise to you, I'm sure, but um, uh, Harvard, over the last couple of years, has turned away each year more than 1,100 applicants who had perfect math scores. 
It's not just Harvard. In fact, Yale has turned away thousands of applicants who had a perfect 2,400 combined on the SAT. And Princeton, every year, turns away thousands of applicants who have a perfect 4.0 GPA average. Now, most of us are not looking to get into an Ivy League school today, but, um, you know, what they're really saying is that we're looking for people who are more than perfect. You know, one of the great challenges when we come to the pages of Scripture is that sometimes if we come not quite understanding all of what it is that Christ has done for us, is that we can easily find ourselves thinking that that we must be more than perfect. And in fact, as we get ready this morning and we open God's Word together in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, which uh, Pastor Rich kicked off just last week, we are going to hear from the Lord Jesus as He's teaching His disciples and the crowd who were before Him. And as He's telling them about a radical call to kingdom living. But it is a kind of radical call and a kind of kingdom living that is utterly different than what any of them had in mind. Now the truth of the matter is that before a holy God, only those who are more than perfect can ever come. But the good news is that this extraordinary kingdom life that Christ calls us to, which requires a greater righteousness than we could ever achieve, Christ himself has come to be for us our righteousness, our qualification, the fact that we need a greater righteousness, a greater perfection than we could ever attain to is precisely why we need Him. So I want to invite you this morning to join me in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up where, uh, where Pastor Rich left off just last week in Matthew chapter 5 this morning, beginning in verse 17, as together we're going to listen to this extraordinary kingdom call that Jesus lays out. And as we learn about what it means to walk in the righteousness that he provides. He says in verse 17, Matthew chapter 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and of the Pharisees, you will never enter 
the kingdom of heaven. Last week at the beginning of this sermon, we saw how uh, Jesus announces this, this list of what we call the Beatitudes, these statements which begin, blessed. And, and he began there with the proclamation, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then a series of other statements talking about the condition, the right condition of the heart before God. Well, it seems that there were some who were concerned that Jesus was, was coming to, uh, to replace the Old Testament, to replace the law, to, to, to set up a new system, a, a new way, and they were concerned about this. And so Jesus, in this section, uh, begins by, by stating, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. And what we see here is that Jesus is explaining that he and he alone fulfilled the promise and the purposes of God. Now, when he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, this, uh, uh, these two terms, law and prophets, are, are a way in which the Jewish people would have understood that he was referring to the whole Old Testament. You see, oftentimes we think of the law as being the, the, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Sometimes they're referred to as the law or, or as the Pentateuch or the Torah. And then the, in the Jewish mindset, there was not only those books of the law, but there was also the, the prophets, and sometimes they would refer to the writings, or the, uh, uh, which included the Psalms as well. And so they had this threefold classification, the law, the prophets, the writings. Sometimes they would use just this term, the law and the prophets, and sometimes they would just use on its own the law. But in each instance, they're referring to the entirety, the scope of the Old Testament. And so here Jesus is saying, don't think that I have come to replace the law and the prophets. Uh, don't think that I've come to, to do away with or to abolish the Old Testament. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He's saying, I'm not here to say, we're done with that. I'm here to complete it. But we might well ask, how exactly is it that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament? And, and what really does that mean? Well, there's a sense in which Jesus has fulfilled the law. He's fulfilled the Old Testament. First of all, doctrinally. You see, as we look at the Old Testament, what we find is that uh, we have there the revelation of who God is and, and what he is like. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we discover that Jesus completes the revelation of who God is and reveals to us this mystery of the gospel, that there is salvation for Jew and Gentile through Christ Jesus. And it is not through keeping the law, but it is through, by grace and through faith. And so, for example, in, in John chapter 1, verse 18, we see no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, and this is a reference to Jesus, He has made Him known. So he's saying no one's ever seen uh, the Father face to face. But now that Jesus the Son has come, we know, we see 
the Father. In fact, Jesus said later on to his disciples in John chapter 14, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And again, in the book of Hebrews, and the references cut off there a little bit, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And so uh, Jesus fulfills the Old Testament in that he has revealed to us the Father. It's also true that he fulfills the Old Testament ethically. You see, in the Old Testament, we not only have what we might refer to as doctrine, but we also have the, the precepts of God uh, as to how, what he is like and how we are therefore to live before him. And so when we think of those ethical instructions, those ethical commands, we often think of things like the Ten Commandments, but there's certainly much more in there. And Jesus fulfills the law in this way in that he lived in perfect obedience and sinlessness before the Father. So as Jesus comes, he fulfills the Old Testament because he is the only one who has ever perfectly kept the righteous requirements of the law. He's the only one who has ever lived every single breath and every single moment for the glory of the Father. See, our problem is the fact that we live for our own glory, our own reputation, our own way. But Christ did all things for the glory of the Father. And so in John 6, 38, for example, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And in Hebrews 4, we're reminded, for we do not have a high priest, again referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so Christ fulfills the Old Testament because he has lived in perfect obedience to the Father. He also fulfills the Old Testament prophetically. Prophetically. So through the Old Testament, we see all of this declaration of the promises of God that these things will come to pass. Well, Christ is the one that all of the law and all of the prophets are pointing to. And so he accomplishes all that was foretold, showing that he is the one that who, uh, whom all Scripture points to. And in doing so, he shows us that the Word of God is utterly faithful and reliable because every promise of Scripture is yes and amen in him. So again, in Luke 24, we see this idea that all of Scripture points to Christ because after his resurrection, when Jesus is on, or when there are two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus and Jesus meets with them, it says, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, it's saying, beginning right back at the beginning, Jesus walked them through the passages of the Old Testament and says, all of this, all of this finds its fulfillment in me. But there's one more way in which Jesus came to fulfill, to complete the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And that is what we might call redemptively. 
He is the true Passover lamb to whom the whole sacrificial system points. And so when we see in the Old Testament that they were bringing these sacrifices and these offerings to try to have a right standing to be able to enter into the presence of God, what we see is that all of that was but a shadow that pointed to Christ. And so even in John chapter 1, as John the Baptist sees Jesus walking towards him, John says to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You understand the sacrificial system, the, the, the spotless lamb that had to be offered on the altar again and again and again. Here's the true lamb who will give himself once, once and for all time to take away sin of his people. And so Jesus, here in our passage in the Sermon on the Mount, says, don't think that I've come to do away with this. No, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill it. In fact, he goes on to say, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. And so we see the enduring nature of Scripture. He uses a couple of words here. He, he refers to an iota. And he says, not an iota will, will, will pass away. And that's actually referring to the smallest Hebrew letter. Uh, that's the letter Yod here, which basically looks like an apostrophe. And, he, and he, in the ESV here, it says, uh, not an iota or a dot. And, and a dot could be something like here. Here we've got two Hebrew letters. Uh, we've got sin and shin. And uh, they're very similar, and, and actually they both have a dot, and, and where you place the dot determines which letter you're talking about. Even in English, we have something like this. Imagine um, when you're writing, you have the letter O. And, and now think about just the little tail, the little serif that you put on an O to make it look like an A. And he's saying, even the smallest stroke of a pen. And so Jesus is saying, I, I've not come to do away with the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. And just so you understand, none of it, none of it is being replaced. None of it is passing away. God's word will endure all flesh, says Isaiah 40 and 1 Peter. All flesh is like grass. All its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's everlasting and so here, Jesus is laying this important foundation at the early on in his ministry so that people would rightly understand what is taking place. And in doing this, he endorses the whole Old Testament. We struggle at times and we wonder, well, what do we do? How do we... How do we deal with the Old Testament today. You know, a lot of people uh, will say things like, well, you know, I'm a New Testament believer. Um, uh, 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 we don't have to deal with that, new, uh, with that Old Testament anymore because now we have Christ. I've even had people say to me, yeah, I don't read the Old Testament. But I, I, I'm, I'm a New Testament guy. Well, I'm sorry, but if that's the case, then that means that you don't understand the New Testament at all. Jesus says, I've not come to replace it. 
we still need to understand and to read and to study the Old Testament. It's one of the things I love about, uh, uh, about the, uh, uh, the way in which we incorporate Scripture into our services here, whether it be in preaching, whether it be uh, as the worship team lead us before God's throne in song, is that we're using all of Scripture Old and New Testament. We preach passages, we preach series through the Old Testament as well as through the New. And it's so vitally important. But how do we, how do we handle the law? Well, Jesus goes on here and he says that, um, uh, he tells us really that picking and choosing how we obey Scripture, therefore, is not an option. Uh, we can't say, oh yeah, well that doesn't apply to me anymore. Or we can just ignore that part look he says in verse uh, verse 19 therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven so since the whole of scripture will endure since all of it will be accomplished and fulfilled in christ we must consider seriously how we interact with it. And he says that relaxing and teaching or doing and teaching is, is linked to, to reward. Now, we've got to be careful with this and the way that we understand this, but what he's saying is that, that if, we, if we make light of the commandments of God, if we make light of the instructions of God, if we relax them, oh, yeah, that's not really a big deal, and then we teach others to do so. He says, there's not really a salvation issue. He's not talking here about yet about that. But he's saying that you'll be called least in the kingdom. He says, but, but if you actually do them, if you put it into practice and teach others to do the same, you'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So what do we do with this? Well, Jesus is about to address the problem with the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious rulers and the teachers of the day. You see, they had turned the Old Testament and keeping the law into such a science that they had combed through the Old Testament and they had identified 613 specific commandments in the Old Testament. Uh, and they had not just identified that, they had actually broken it down further, and they said there are 248 commandments that we are to do, and there are 365 commandments that we are to refrain from. And then they had taken that even further. And some of them had actually kind of put them on a scale. And so you might say, well, well you know, one of the, one of the big ones is you shall have no other gods before me. Yeah, that's, an, that, that's a big one. That's an important one. The, the what to do if you have a white hair growing out of a spot on your arm, that, 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 that's one of the lesser ones. And so they had kind of ranked them. And so when he's talking here, when Jesus is talking about relaxing one of the least of these commands, that's kind of the idea that he has in mind there, is that they were ranking them and they were, they, they were making excuses. But what Jesus is saying is, no, it's all God's word, and we must be careful as to how we handle it. 
And what we see is that what we do with the instruction of Scripture is important. And, and, and so we might well ask ourselves a question, well, what do I do with the Old Testament? Well, what we do with the Old Testament today is we recognize, first of all, that thanks be to God, it is not the standard of measurement by which we seek to be saved. We see this more as we move through the Sermon on the Mount. But it's even where the Beatitudes started uh, last week with Pastor Rich. That first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The understanding behind that is that poor in spirit is representing a spiritual poverty. A recognition of our need before God. And so when Jesus is talking about this, he, we have to go back to the fact he said... I came to accomplish it. I came to fulfill it. Christ is the one who has perfectly met the righteous and good requirements of the law. So you and I don't have to. And that's good news because we can't. Just like Harvard and Yale and Princeton. Perfect score doesn't get you there because the reality is that none of us can perfectly keep it but Christ has and yet even in light of that we are to take the instructions of scripture in every part seriously and we're to live in obedience before the Lord so how do we do that well first of all we rejoice Rejoice in the fact that as we read through the instructions of the Old Testament, that we do not keep these for our salvation, but we, we, we seek to live in obedience to God's commands in delight and out of thanksgiving and in the power and the enablement of His Spirit that He gives to His people. We need to go, as we study those passages, we need to go prayerfully and we need to say, Lord, would you help me to understand what this looks like in my life and, and help me to see where my life is before your word. And then we need to recognize, we need to study so that we can comprehend what is the enduring principle that is behind this instruction. And so, for example, oftentimes people think, oh, you know, the Old Testament, that has nothing to do with me because there's this whole thing about not wearing a fabric uh, or, or a clothes which are made of, of, of two fabrics or not planting two kinds of, uh, of seed in the, in the same field. Oh, that's got nothing to do. But if we study, if we prayerfully understand that this is talking about the fact that those who are God's people are to live distinct lives, separate lives that are not seeking to mix with the things of the world around them, but rather to, to, to be wholly devoted in every part to Christ, then we understand that there is the biblical principle which is greater even than the specific cultural uh, uh, instruction that is given there. And so Jesus instructs us to be careful and not to be those who make excuses or look for loopholes when it comes to living this radical kingdom life. 
You see, that's actually where he goes from here because, you see, while Jesus fulfills the promises and the purposes of God, that doesn't mean that we can simply pick and choose how or whether we obey his commands. But while we are to be hearers and doers and teachers of God's good word, our righteousness must be more than simply an outward conformity to a set of rules. And so that's why in verse 20 he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So uh, when he was talking about those who relax or or, or those who do and, and teach others, and he talks about the fact that they'll be called least in the kingdom or greatest in the kingdom, he's talking there about this idea of the kingdom life and that there is a reward. But now he's saying, but there's something that you need to be aware of. And and that is, there's something that will keep you from ever being able to enter the kingdom in the first place. And that is trusting in your own righteousness. Now, it must have been staggering for the people on that hillside that day who were listening to Jesus to hear him say, unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees and the scribes, you'll never enter. So I'm like, well, what hope do we have? Because you see, the scribes and the Pharisees, these religious leaders and religious teachers, they made an art out of keeping the letter of the law. Oh, and uh, they loved to make sure that everybody knew just how well they were doing it. I mean, these were the kind of people who, they would just walk in the room and everybody would be like, oh, I feel so guilty. You say, no, unless your righteousness surpasses that, unless your test scores are better than perfect, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, again and again, through the Sermon on the Mount, is going to remind us God is perfect, His ways are good and right. And just and kingdom people live by kingdom values in kingdom obedience. But make no mistake. Entrance to that kingdom is not based on your effort, your hard work, your qualifications, your test scores. It is based upon a righteousness that Christ and Christ alone provides. He who knew no sin, says the Apostle Paul became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The wonder of the gospel, the wonder of the Christian life is that what we could never do for ourselves, Christ has done for us. There is the great exchange that happens on the cross of Calvary where our sin, our unrighteousness is laid on Christ. And his robes of righteousness are given to us so that in him, by faith, we are forgiven, qualified, reconciled to the Father. That's what we've just been remembering when we came to the table of communion. Thanks be to God. Our God never wants us to live as if we have to check a box.
this reminder of this exceeding righteousness takes us back to a recognition of the fact that as we take a hold of the extraordinary life that Christ invites us to through faith in Him, we are still to live in, in, in obedience to God, but not as a qualifying standard because He's already qualified us. Now we live in obedience to His Word because when we do so, it brings joy. When we do so, it brings blessing to our lives and the lives of others. And because He has shown such grace, such love, such mercy to us, that it is in Christ now our delight and our honor to obey Him. We started this year in our encounter series talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The wonder of the gospel is that when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you respond to the invitation that he gives to come to him, to repent of your sins, to turn from them and to surrender your life to him, that God the Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence in our lives. And when he does, he conforms our desires to the things of the Lord. When he does, he empowers us to live out in increasingly consistent obedience this righteousness that is ours through Christ. And so, as Jesus, in a sense, lays the foundation and reminds them that there is a greater righteousness, he then goes on to move in the rest of chapter 5 into a series of what we might call our uh, um, illustrations. And these illustrations um, uh, each begin with, you have heard it said, but I say to you. We don't have time to go into all of them today. In fact, even the one that we're going to look at, we're going to have to do so very briefly. But as we go into this, I want to share with you just this wonderful quote from uh, uh, um, a gentleman by the name of Handley Moore. He was the Bishop of Durham uh, um, uh, about 150 years ago. And uh, he said, the harlot, the liar, the murderer are all short of God's glory. But so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of a mine and you on the crest of an alp. But you are as little able to touch the stars as they. And as Jesus is teaching there on the side of this mountain, as he's saying, you need a righteousness that surpasses that even of the Pharisees and the scribes. He's saying, you may put certain people like them on a pinnacle. You may look at their lives and say, oh, they're so far more advanced than I am. They're on the top of that mountain, the top of that Alp. He says, yeah. But if they're trusting in their own righteousness, they're just as unable to touch the stars as you are down at the bottom of that mine shaft. Thanks be to God that Jesus has come not to replace and not to do away with the Old Testament, but He has come to fulfill it and to provide for us a righteousness that surpasses anything we could ever accomplish on our own. And when we understand that kingdom call, when we come to Him in obedience, We recognize that our righteousness must be more than an outward conformity, but it also impacts every area of our lives. You see, the Pharisees, 
they had a good understanding of Scripture. But they would relax the commandments so that they could be seen to be keeping them really well. And Jesus goes on in the next few verses to say, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And so, perhaps in terms of an illustration of what it is to relax the commandments and to be on guard against that, perhaps as an, an illustration to, 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 to show that the, that the requirements of the law are not done away with. And Jesus moves from what he was talking about, this greater righteousness, to give this example of anger. He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. And he addresses the sixth commandment here. And he says, but I say to you, and what he seems to do is he seems to intensify the command. Now, there are some scholars who will say that Jesus is adding new instruction. I don't buy that. I don't think he's adding new instruction. I think he's saying, no, let me point you to the intent of the command. That when we simply follow the letter of the law, that's like relaxing the commandment. But even from the beginning, the heart of the commandment points us to this. It's not just about not crossing that line of committing homicide. Because most of us would think we're doing pretty well with that one. Hey, it's been a good day so far. I've not killed anyone. He says, but I say to you, if you're angry in your heart at someone, and so we see that anger is serious, and those who follow Christ must deal with it seriously. And what we see in this illustration of anger and what Pastor Matt's going to lead us through next week as we look at lust and divorce and oaths and retaliation and all sorts of other things that, that, that are addressed here is that we can't keep this on our own. The standard is too great. The level is too perfect. But this is not about a perfection. It is about trusting in the perfect one. It is not about our righteousness. It is about trusting in his righteousness. And as we do so, in increasingly consistent obedience, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will see these areas like anger be something that we see God win mastery of in our lives. He says here, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother, liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, liable to the fire of hell. He seems to be pointing here this, that if you murder, you go to, to the court. He's saying, but I, I, I say to you, if you're angry, you go to the Supreme Court. And, 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 and if you insult, or if you say you fool, then you need to understand that that is serious. This insult seems to be something uh, about maybe the, the, the uh, 
intellectual capacity of a person. The, the saying you fool seems to be maybe something about their, their, their moral character. But it's this idea of slander. And what he's saying here is that the righteous requirements of the law are so high. It's not just about murder. If you're angry, if you insult, if you take your rage out on another or you build up and carry resentment against them and slander them in some way, if you're trying to be justified based on your own righteousness then that word of insult to another person will condemn you to hell just as much as that act of murder. Now, that's uncomfortable for us. We don't like to hear that. He's saying that's how great our righteousness must be if we're relying on it ourselves. That one careless word before a holy God is sufficient to condemn a person to eternal separation from him. That's why we need Christ. So there's a warning here. But then having introduced this idea of anger, he speaks of the fact that we therefore, if we are kingdom people, if we are followers of Christ, if we have received his righteousness rather than our own, then we must... We must be careful how we conduct ourselves. And he gives these two pictures. He says, if you're offering your gift at an altar and there, remember, your brother has something against you, leave the gift before the altar. Go first be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. He's saying, if you show up on a Sunday morning and there's an issue between you and someone else, deal with the issue before you bring your your offering. Then, after you've dealt with the issue, then come back and offer. We need to deal with quickly, radically, seriously with those things which would divide us so that resentment not build up, so that there not be disunity in the body. Oh, how we need this in the church today. Just two days ago, I was talking with a friend of mine at a church in Canada. And almost in tears, he was telling me how he doesn't think that their body, their congregation is going to make it because there is such division over different things related to government mandates there. Such division that it is ripping the church apart and he doesn't think the church is going to survive. Oh, Lord, forgive us. We may have different opinions, but deal with it. Grow up and represent Christ. And don't show up to church having something against your brother and saying, well, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing. And No, deal with it. Deal with it. Because God does not accept the offering when you're refusing to deal with the issue. And he gives one more picture here. He says, and if you go into to court, he says... Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Again, there's a lot here we could go into if we only had the time, but the instruction is we must reconcile quickly with those who are angry 
with us. Be careful that you do not allow your anger or the anger of another toward you to spin to the point that it is out of control because the consequences are serious. Deal with it quickly. So how do we combine this together? I've been struggling with this this week. We've got this great passage and then we go into this illustration. How do they connect? What's Jesus doing here? He's reminding us, first of all, we need a righteousness that is greater than our own. A righteousness that only He gives. And if you're here this morning and you're still just kind of going through the motions of, well, if I do this and I do this and I do this and, 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 and my test scores are good enough, then maybe my, my heaven application will be accepted. No, it won't. Because you need to be more than perfect. Because our God is more than perfect. And Scripture tells us that all of us have sinned and all of us fall short of the glory of God. But it also tells us, thanks be to God, Christ has qualified us through His perfect fulfillment of God's Word. And so I would plead with you, if you're going through the motions, if you're playing a Christianity that's kind of like the Pharisees, just going through and checking the boxes, would you stop that? Because it will get you nowhere. Time to come to Jesus, poor in spirit, and say, Lord, I've got nothing to offer. I have no righteousness to bring. Forgive me for my sin. Today I surrender to you. I don't want to try to perform my way into heaven because I can't. But what I want to do is to follow you and to live every moment for you as best as I know how and in the power that you give. And then to recognize that just because we are leaning on His righteousness and not our own, that doesn't give us excuses for disobedience and it doesn't give us excuse when it comes to the important issue of things like anger and being reconciled to our brother. Don't relax even the least of those commandments. But recognize that the radical call to this radical kingdom life is a life that is in and through Christ and for His glory. I've talked for long enough. A few weeks ago in our encounter series, we were reminded that we are to walk by the Spirit. And when we walk by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Christ's radical call His kingdom call is to a greater righteousness. But thanks be to God. It is a righteousness that He provides and to a power that He alone gives. So my prayer for us is that we would come to recognize that the extraordinary kingdom life requires more than we could ever do. But that is precisely what Jesus has done for us. Oh Lord, there's much in here that we have not even had opportunity to scratch the surface of, and yet, Lord, we confess to you that, like the Pharisees, we are often quick to trust in our own efforts 
and to measure your instructions and your command based on what we perceive to be more or less important. Forgive us for being those who often seek loopholes. Would you help us to see our desperate need of Christ and to live in the righteousness that He alone gives? Lord, would you remind us of your goodness and your faithfulness to us? And if there are any here this morning or watching online who are still playing the game of trying to measure themselves up like the Pharisees did to a standard of perfection that we can never accomplish, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that you would Convict them and open their eyes to see the beauty of Christ and to turn to Him this day. And Lord, while we didn't look with depth at it, I would ask that if there are any here who are walking in anger or disunity towards their brother or some other inside of the church or outside, And I pray that you would help us to be a people who follow your kingdom path, who extend forgiveness and practice forgiveness, and who seek to be reconciled to one another, laying down our own rights and our own preferences for the sake of your name and your glory. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. Amen. And he is our living hope. We'd love to invite you now to stand one more time as you are able in body or in spirit. Let's respond in song together in praise to Jesus Christ, our living hope. between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night then through the darkness your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a
spending this morning and worship with us. Go now in the power of the Holy Spirit to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed week in Him, and we will see you next Sunday. If I'm being-